Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Pocket Dojo podcast. I'm Paul Crick. And I'm Asha Singh. Thank you to everybody who has watched, listened, commented, or downloaded our previous episodes. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about Aikido and how the principles we learn on the mat can inform how we develop leaders off the mat. We're also going to explore what a dojo is and why we've called this show the Pocket Dojo Podcast. And we'll also be sharing more with you about the renewal retreat for women who lead that we're holding at the fantastic Broughton Sanctuary in the UK next spring and what we'll be doing or exploring with participants there. So if you watched our first episodes, you may remember that Paul is a black belt in Aikido. Uh, amongst other things, his practice really helps him to be present and connect with the current moment, whatever he is. So Paul, tell us about Aikido. How did you get into it? What's it all about? Well, in order to be able to tell you that, I recorded a little film about that. So let's go have a look. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, is a helpful jumping off point to begin to understand why Aikido is relevant to developing our leadership practice. The poem speaks clearly to the ideas of character, and emotional intelligence, two fundamental requirements of what most of us would call leadership practice. Here, I want to define some key terms and draw directly on the leadership framework, which has been brought to life by Tom Burhins and his team of collaborators via a number of iterations through the Prometheus project. Leadership is a noun that means a set of human qualities and activities that are generative and creative. Leading is a verb that affords the outcomes in the workplace. Leader is someone who is responsible for making changes happen. Marihai Ashiba, the founder of Aikido, said that the purpose of training is to tighten up the slack to toughen the body and to polish the spirit. So Aikido training speaks directly to this leadership framework and the development of human qualities and activities that are both generative and creative. But who we are is how we lead. In today's business environment, the hidden costs of team conflicts and poor leadership are significant and preventable. These issues often stem from unresolved disagreements within teams. Many people avoid dealing with conflict, hoping it'll just go away. In the workplace, there are two dominating questions. The first is, am I right? Wrong. And the second is, am I good enough? It's not uncommon to base our self-worth in the workplace on how I compare to others whether others see me as good enough for the promotion or the pay rise or the bonus. In fact, many workplaces set themselves up to actually reinforce this. So how do you resolve it? How do you get a better outcome? How do you stop accruing costs? Well, 
Kipling actually gives us the answer by suggesting we need to be flexible and adaptable and responding to situations as they arise. If we keep pushing against one another, we become rigid and entrenched in our respective positions. There's no room for adaptability. This is where the martial art of Aikido comes in. Like any craft, there's so much to learn. It's a challenge to be able to explain all the principles in a short segment like this. Even after training for five years, I'm only just now beginning to see small glimpses of what this martial art is all about. And like all the other martial arts, Aikido emphasizes redirecting an opponent's energy rather than directly confronting it. This is the first principle. How do I redirect the other person's energy? How do I do that in a way that restores harmony to the situation? So on the mat, we say, how do we stop the fight rather than how do we win the fight? So as you watch this sequence of Aikido, note how the opponent landing on the mat unharmed at the end of each throw illustrates this. As we can see here in this first demonstration, the person receiving the attack actually turns to use the energy and momentum of the attacker to throw them, to throw the opponent, if you like, onto the mat. The second principle is that strength and power comes from a place of non-aggression and cooperation. Aikido emphasizes working with an opponent's energy and momentum rather than relying on brute force. Instead of overpowering an opponent with strength, Aikido practitioners seek to redirect and neutralize an attack by blending with it and using a circular movement. The goal is to bring an attacker's energy under control rather than meeting with, with force. For now, I'll press the pause button on Aikido, as there's so much more that can be applied. We'll come back to it in more detail in later episodes, and we'll cover it in quite some depth on the morning of day two of the Retreat for Women Who Lead at Broad and Sanctuary in April next year. Before we let go of this for a moment, it's worth answering the question, why on earth did we choose to call this podcast The Pocket Dojo? Leadership practice is a set of skills that can be learned and practiced daily. And a dojo is simply a place to learn and practice how we learn to lead ourselves and each other in better ways and how to work together better. So the Pocket Dojo is a place you carry with you in your pocket to learn and practice these skills needed to have better conversations, ask better questions, start the conversations that now need to be started, create better connection with your peers and colleagues, and to solve your business problems. Wow, that's powerful stuff, Paul. Uh, it sounds like some of the fruits that you get from your practice are really similar to what I've experienced over many years of doing yoga and meditation. I'll talk about those in a future episode. But right now, I'm really curious about how you uh, help leaders to take some of those principles off the mat and apply them in everyday life. How does that work? Well, over the last couple of years, I've developed a thing called the, the GRACE framework. So let me explain a little bit more about what that is. When I was working in the corporate world, I was lucky to teach a variety of what people would still call soft skills to consultants all over the world. 
One of the things that struck me about how emotional intelligence is taught is the tendency is to focus on what emotional intelligence is using slides and flip charts and then to role play some scenarios. And I think this misses some really crucial things out. Consequently, when everyone gets back to the office and normal routines take over, the lessons learned never really materialize widely enough. So if I'm asked to teach emotional intelligence, I'll usually start by asking people by show of hands, if anyone has been on a course on the topic of emotional intelligence or knows what it is, many hands go up in the room. That's a good thing. Then I ask people if they can show me how they actually do emotional intelligence. After all, having learned what it is, then the intention is really to be able to use and apply it in our day-to-day -day lives when we get back to the office. Normally, after a few moments silence, someone will helpfully offer the usual explanation that there's a gap between a response and a stimulus and emotional intelligence is all about recognizing this and then intentionally choosing our response rather than running on autopilot. Well, that answer is partly right, and it's certainly a good start. There is, however, a whole trance of phys uh, physical and neurobiological processes missing from the traditional classic two-by-two -two box model of emotional intelligence. Emotional competence is regarded as an important set of skills to be able to recognize, to interpret, and constructively respond to our emotions in ourselves and in others. Emotional competence is thought to come from emotional intelligence. Hmm. This isn't the place to argue which model of AI is the right one and which one's the wrong one. All models are flawed at the end of the day, but some are more useful than others. I'm more interested in teaching a practice that will help us regulate our emotions and support co-regulation of emotions in others. This practice is what I call the GRACE framework. The GRACE framework is a mnemonic that helps individuals think about how to develop the quality of their ability to think. Our thinking is ongoing, top-down and bottom-up. It's a process that speaks about our inner operating system and our inner operating system determines the quality of the relationship we have with ourselves and works towards minimizing and potentially eliminating the things that tend to get in the way of operating at our full potential. The purpose of the Graves framework is to fill the how-to gap left by the what of the two-by-two -two box model of emotional intelligence. As we said earlier in the show, who you are is how you lead. The who you are is governed by the quality of the relationship you have with yourself. The GRACE framework offers a way to build stronger connection with ourselves and each other. So here we have a picture of the framework. Let's take a very quick guided tour. Grounding is the felt sense of connecting to and being in your whole being. It's your mind, your body, and your spirit all integrated together. And when we're grounded, we become an observer of the moment. The more we observe, 
the more we become aware of what's happening right here and right now in the present. It's what presence is all about. It's our experience that shapes our body and our body in turn shapes our relationship with the world. We feel this and other people feel this in relation to us based on how we are physically present with them rather than the words we use. Because of how we absorb and make sense and meaning of the world around us. As a framework, it offers guidance rather than being prescriptive. Unlike other frameworks, there's no prescribed place to start. You simply start where you are, where you're drawn to. They say inner stillness is the key to outer strength. And this is what grounding is all about, getting to a place of stillness so that we can become more aware of what's going on around us. Resolve is the setting of intentions rather than goals and the emotional connection to each one of those, making sure that we hold each intention lightly rather than being attached to it. Acceptance is the A in the grace framework. What it means here is the acceptance of what happens in the system, acceptance of others and acceptance of ourselves. So it means the acceptance of the system, self and others without resistance. Acceptance is an important how-to of leadership because it supports us remaining in a grounded state and maintaining our resolve. The process of acceptance, however, is not a passive one. A greater level of acceptance helps to connect us to a greater level of emotional and psychological agility. It's not advocating that we must accept everything or everyone we come into contact with, nor are we suggesting that acceptance is about masking or hiding our emotions. Creating is the process of courageously bringing to life an original idea from nothing. To create anything of beauty, daring and substance makes the world see itself afresh and is the work of lonely persistence against the tides of convention and conformity, often at the cost of the visionaries aching ostracism from the status quo that they are challenging with their vision. Embody explains the difference between having a mental or a cognitive appreciation of our inner game of leadership, and it's very different to having a felt sense of knowing. As the saying goes, to know and not to do is not to know. So there you go. There's a whistle-stop tour of the GRACE framework. Now it's worth noting that the design of the Retreat for Women Who Lead is based on the GRACE framework. Each element of the three-day curriculum fits one of the components of the GRACE model. And that we cover the entire framework over the three days next April. If you'd like to know more about the retreat, do email us at retreats at theelevatepartnership.com and we'll share the link to the landing page where you can find out all about it. The Grace Framework sounds like a fantastic way for people to experience those principles and put them into practice. Well done. Thank you.
There's some great stories in the research publication, How Did She Get There, that we shared on the podcast in episode one. One of the stories I particularly like uh, was about one of the researchers when she was talking to a large investment bank a few years ago. Uh, they wanted to uh, transform their organizational culture. And in the course of that conversation, they told her that they felt they needed leaders who uh, were able to take people through change really sensitively. So in other words, they needed to be able to listen to each other and their people. Uh, they needed to create conditions for people to do things, uh, to be empathetic, etc. cetera. Uh, and in that conversation, at some point, the senior HR director just said, where on earth do we find people like that who lead in that way? And so the researcher thought about it for a moment uh, and replied with actual, with what was a question at the end of the day um, about maybe we need women. And first there was complete silence in the room in this conversation. You can imagine just kind of, you know, this group of, of guys talking about how to transform their culture. Uh, and then everybody began to laugh because they realized she was absolutely spot on. That's a great story. What else did the research find out about how women prefer to work and lead? Well, it became really clear, actually, while they were doing this research, that women who are really thriving, despite you know being in, in organisations that might not operate the way that they want to, was that they very rarely ever had a master action plan that they then put into place and implemented to, to you know, reach where they wanted to get to. Rather, they allowed themselves consistently, Paul, to be led by um, what's important to them, we could say by their values, I mean, and finding people uh, who could share those things so that you know, there, was, there was a flow of meaning, let's say, for everybody included. Uh, many of the women that were interviewed, Paul, shared that they'd very rarely ever had some kind of master action plan that they then put into practice to get what they wanted. Instead, they often allowed themselves to be led by what was important to them. We could say their values, in other words. Right? And they were always curious uh, and wanted to you know, dig deeper so they could connect the dots between different things. Um, they always had to put in the hard graft. There was never really sort of shortcuts around things. I think those were the main, main uh, differences, let's say, that the researchers found. Interesting. Okay. Let's, let's hear from Sarah, who runs the Avalon Wellbeing Centre at Broughton Sanctuary, about her work and how she leads the team there. So, good morning. Uh, good morning. Anyway, hello. Uh, I'm Asha Singh, and welcome to the Pocket Dojo. Um, we are here at Broughton Sanctuary, where we're going to be holding our fantastic inaugural retreat for senior women who lead. And I'm talking today with Sarah, who runs, well, you can tell us exactly what you do, but as far as I've understood you, you run Avalon, which is the well-being, wellness, I'm going to ask you actually, just to just tell us about that and well, how, how do you see it? Okay, thank you. So my name is Sarah and I like to describe myself as the person who looks after Avalon. So if you want to give me a title, I suppose I'm the manager of Avalon, and, but I really identify more with 
looking after it because there's a lot of care that goes into it and for me that feels a little more representative of the work that I want to be doing here. Fantastic. Uh, so I was brought in to look after, manage and run Avalon Wellbeing Centre mm-hmm. which is becoming the heartbeat of Broughton Sanctuary mm-hmm. and where a lot of our retreats choose to come to spend time uh, doing different processes, um, down-regulating, connecting to themselves. And so I support the structure of it. I support the retreats mm-hmm. uh, in the running and the logistics and the operations. And um, yeah, and I look after the, the spaces and the team that also work here. Um, and you mentioned, uh, you know, when we were coming to, to, to talk earlier, about the fact that you're, you know, a, a woman in a leadership position on the take care of the team. Mm-hmm. You clearly, you know, are here to care. I love that the custodianship, the, the care that's so evident here at here to care for the wellbeing centre and people who come here to reconnect with themselves and stuff. So I'm curious if you're happy to share with us, and I hope that's that's okay to ask. Um, about, you know, something of your own journey. So how you have grown and and who you feel you're becoming mm. as a woman, as a leader, as you know, somebody taking care of this as a custodian, if you like, of of this amazing space. If you're happy to show with our listeners or viewers, you know, something of your own journey, what sure. is comfortable for you to share, would be great. Yeah, I feel like there's so much I could share, I'm not sure which time. Whatever <laughs> feels right it. for you. I suppose I, I came from a, uh, I came from an academic background, which meant that I spent a lot of hours in solitude, mm-hmm. <laughs> reading my texts and writing about them. And simultaneously, I was training as a yoga teacher, so I was having this other aspect of my life that was in sharing with other people, but actually from a position of I don't like to use the word power in the context of yoga, but actually I was standing at the front of the class teaching, right? And there is a dynamic there is a, a dynamic in that. Um in coming to work here, my whole life changed because I went from being in solitude, studying texts, teaching and and, and creating classes in solitude, to now being part of a of a community that's working together towards a common goal. What I discovered in that was that mm, definitely I'm discovering that leadership doesn't have to be vertical. Mm-hmm. What I'm discovering is this sense of like expansion and more horizontal sharing mm-hmm. of work and collaboration. And I'm still sort of figuring out what that looks like when we're still working within a structure where you know, I have this this title or this thing of this thing of manager. Um, but actually what I want to be doing is is working more in this way, like more as a web and collaborating with other people around me. Which is why the the role of like caretaker, facilitator feels much more balanced and neutral. Enabling. And enabling to everybody around me and, and of and of myself. Um and I suppose I'm I'm just I'm I'm in that place right now. I'm kind of learning what that what that looks like, and and what I'm working towards, I suppose, is being being a facilitator that helps 
that supports every everybody else's rising, everybody else's independence at work, mm. and everybody else's autonomy. Um, so I don't want to be the keeper of all knowledge and all tasks, yeah, but rather creating a web where everybody can sort of rise mm. within their own mm. their own um, their own work. So that's what I'm learning. I'm still in that process. Yeah, same. <laughs> Lifelong journey. I think. Uh, but I also feel like it's it's what we need in yeah. in wider society. I agree. Well, um, and and I also feel that working with Paris, who's the director of Avalon, and working in Avalon, which has all these elements of Mother Nature mm. and the feminine, mm. that we are sort of slowly and progressively working on working that I think that's one of the, you know, often difficult things. I know coming from a very different background, which is about executive coaching and working particularly with the collective, with teams, etc. You know, that's always a big challenge is how do we organise and interact mm. in ways that, that can allow that kind of energy to flow within organisation, to bring life back, or, you know, very kind of broad definition of what it means to be generated new. Um, and so it's fascinating to hear and to see, actually, to experience to do. It's like a very sensory mm. experience to me sitting here at Portsmouth. Um, and how you're, you know, learning from the land and all this amazing history of the Tempest family that we've talked a little bit about with some of your colleagues here. Um, and to to see that then... You know, what you're learning and experimenting with, translating that into how you're flourishing as a community is astonishing. I love how Sarah describes herself as a caretaker. In fact, that, that came through in actually all the conversations we had at Broughton, uh, rather than a manager. Uh, I wonder how many women, and actually, to be fair, how many men would much prefer to do things in that way, you know? Uh, it's actually really difficult. Uh, to be honest, to flourish in complex conditions, which is, I think, what we're pretty much all in today. Uh, if we take that very um, traditional, often successful in the past approach, we could call it a white alpha male, if I may, approach uh, to doing things. So in other words, you, you know, elaborate your vision, you engage people in it, you drive people, your teams, departments, etc., to achieve it and implement it and deliver great results. Uh, I've seen so many organizations continue to operate in that way and then be really uh, surprised and, and uh, you know, concerned when they create far more complexity that, than they need and also lots of unwanted surprises. I mean, I think we can see those all over the place, right? Mm, yeah, definitely. So when Paul and I did actually meet uh, at the Leadership Circle event in uh, Germany in summer 2022, and we experienced this curious coming together of masculine and feminine energy uh, that got us really interested in what we might be able to do with it in terms of developing leaders, which is much of our work. Uh, and looking at the research that Paul and his colleague had done uh, directly with women leaders, it became really clear to us that something like a renewal retreat for women who lead was a really good thing that we could offer for, for women to do exactly those things. So there were three intentions that emerged during the in, uh, design process. The first was to give women an opportunity to reconnect with what's really important for them so they can live on their own terms and uh, take good care of themselves as well. The second is to rediscover really their own wisdom and creativity 
and then harness those to do work that's meaningful for them. And finally, but certainly not, not least, let's say, um, was to rediscover, renew, reinvigorate, let's say, um, their optimism and their own voice so that they can speak truth to power. So it was interesting when we started to design this, uh, I, in my usual fashion in sort of typical male approach, did all the rational stuff, did the, did the analysis and followed the structure to how to design a retreat uh, to the letter. But when Asha and I came to, together, uh, it was interesting to see how our energies came together to sort of create something different. Asha, tell us about your, your role in the process. So when I came into the picture, I felt that I wanted to um, complement your rational analysis pool with something that was more intuitive and, and flowing. So I think we both knew, you know, right from the start that the whole retreat needed to take people on a journey. And then it made sense that each day would uh, do a similar kind of thing, really. So it's going to prepare people for what's next. You know? um, so uh, Paul had reframed these questions uh, into positive questions, the pain points of the um, that from the research and I laid them out into just a, like a collage if you like I'm an artist and collaging is one of the things that I use one of the approaches I use uh, to develop ideas so I just laid these out put them on post-its and laid them out uh, and let them literally kind of move around I mean obviously I moved them but just intuitively you know followed where it felt right until it was really they kind of crystallized in a winding path that was right for both of us we chose three days because it's long enough to get deeper into exploration and practice and is doable for busy people. It also allows us to offer uh, a retreat at a price point that can be accessible enough to as many people as possible. So the first day is all about where we've come from. We'll invite you to do some pre-work uh, to think about this before we meet. It's also important to get into the practice of sharing our own ideas, as simple or as off the wall as they may be, and for them to be witnessed rather than judged and given feedback. This already takes many of us out of our comfort zones, me included. Yeah, me too. So we'll invite everybody to arrive uh, before lunch on day one for our first delicious meal together. We'll then head out into the forest for a guided nature walk in the afternoon an opportunity to tune into ourselves, one another, and our surroundings. After the walk, we'll come back together to reflect on what the forest has taught us so far about renewal and to set our intentions for the next days together. We'll then have dinner with some time to settle in beforehand. And in the evening, we're gonna to come together and share those creative pieces that you, you created or that you made before the retreat. The second day is all about where you are now and we'll begin with some gentle breath work to energize and uplift you whatever your level of fitness after breakfast we'll explore how to develop grace under pressure and what it really means to stand your ground and to connect with others and in the afternoon we'll explore how to be present spontaneous and co-create possibilities or things that are really essential in these challenging times We'll then reflect on finding agency when things feel stuck and rewriting our personal narratives. And after another delicious meal together, we're going to mark what we're leaving behind in the present today with a beautiful ceremony. 
Our final day together will be dedicated to who you are becoming and expanding into the new. In the morning, following breathwork and breakfast, we'll look at our adaptability and the dynamics of how we create and relate with others. We'll connect the dots to see what we might do differently back in the workplace and in other parts of our lives. And in the afternoon, we'll take another walk, this time to think and feel into the future and bring the rest of the retreat together. We'll close the circle with a short ceremony and we'll be ready to head home mid-afternoon. So with the festive season just a few days away, we'll actually be back next Monday, the 18th of December at 9am GMT uh, with episode four. So that's just one week away, not usual two. In an episode four, we'll be talking about why inner and outer renewal are so important for women who lead. And that feels perfect as we head towards winter solstice in the shortest day of the year. And we'll have some holiday fun and games with some of the best bloopers that we recorded while making this show. As always, you can watch and listen to the Pocket Dojo podcast wherever you normally get your podcast from. Thanks for watching. See you again soon. See you next week. Bye for now. Thank you.